time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 60 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Starry night. It is a starry night. Yes, it is. We do have a special guest in our studio. In the studio, we have a special in-studio guest. And that is Gertie. She is live with us today. She is now right next to us, sitting in her stroller at the table and if you do hear her, sometimes she has a lot of stuff to say. She may chat a little bit, and we're not going to take it out. We like it. Yeah, we like it when Gertie speaks up sometimes. She has some good stuff to say. Yes. You ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. So how are you feeling? I'm still not 100%. Me either. COVID has taken it out of me, although I'm not complaining because we are nowhere near as ill as some people. Yeah. And we feel very lucky, but I'm still in the easily exhausted phase. Me too. A lot of coughing, and clearly my voice is not back to I normal. Have less coughing than you. My voice is pretty normal right now. Mm-hmm. I'm still a little congested, a little cough here and there, but the exhaustion, it's still there. Man, it takes it right out of you. I walk up a small hill, like I went to feed the alpacas, and I walked up a tiny hill to lean against the fence to catch my breath. Yeah. It's no joke. I do a few things, and then I'm just wiped out. I'm sitting down for a few minutes. I'm like, oh. I mean, I'm trying to take it easy on myself. Right. Because the exhaustion is just so bad. We still have Christmas stuff up right now, but I'm okay with it. We haven't even exchanged our Christmas gifts. We have not exchanged our Christmas (laughs) gifts. I have not seen my parents yet for Christmas. I just saw my mom today for the first time in over two weeks. Yeah. I have and not, even then I made her stand at a distance downwind from me. Yeah. I have not seen my parents for the holidays at all. On the bright side, we spent a lot of time researching this week's Breed Spotlight. <laughs> we spent a lot of time sitting in our houses on the phone. Yeah. We true. did record via Zoom. We're sitting at the table in our studio right now. We are together. This is the first time we've been together since a day or two after Christmas. So for us, that's a long time. Yes, it is. But we do talk like 12 hours a day on the phone. So it's all good. They're calling for snow. My brain cannot absorb that. I just can't. (laughs) By the time this episode drops, we will have had the winter storm. But right now, I just, I'm in denial. So right now, we're like two days before the snow. Right. This is the super hyped up phase where the stores will have no bread, no (laughs) milk, no toilet paper. Hopefully, it's going to be somewhere between two and seven or eight inches. And that's not going to be terrible. Well, I went and did a curbside pickup from Tractor Supply. I got four or five big bags of large-sized shavings Yeah, for the run when the snow finishes. Yeah. A little preparation. Yeah, it goes a long way. Because none of my girls want to come out. And we have to shovel the runs. Nobody's yeah. coming out in the snow. Well, I can tell you right now, I don't have the stamina to shovel my runs. I don't either. I have the girls out there helping me, and then I'm shoveling a little bit, and then I'm just exhausted. Yeah. They don't like it. I don't blame them. I don't want my feet with come nothing on. Come on, spring. On. Yeah. Come on, spring. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So maybe we should go ahead and yeah. ask everybody a big favor. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for our show. It actually means the world to us. It really does help us grow the podcast. You can also visit our Etsy shop. You can check out the t-shirts that we have for sale. 
You can choose to become a patron of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. One of them includes a free bonus episode each month. You don't want to miss it. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and you can share your favorite episodes on social media. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. You can get all the same great treats and feed with a fresh new look. Check out their new website. You can receive 20% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners, Coffee20, for 20% off your first purchase. Follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEE20. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chicken? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products and the chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the January box, I absolutely love the Rooster Bottle Opener and the Seed Sprouting Kit. I love the Poppy Adventures book and coloring book, and the knitted headband is going to keep my ears so warm. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. So, now it's about that time that we do our... It's time for the Breed Spotlight, yeah. Yeah, the Breed Spotlight. (laughs) Okay, so let's move on to this Breed Spotlight. It is the Golden Comet. It's very golden. It's actually not that golden (laughs) if you look at it. I mean, it's actually sort of a reddish gold. Yes. Or like a lighter version of the Rhode Island Red. Let's back up for two seconds. Because this is the first time that we are doing a hybrid chicken. So... Though it's the breed spotlight, the Golden Comet is not a breed. It is a type of a hybrid. Yes. So what we want to do is start introducing some hybrids that are very, very popular with everyone out there. If they have an interesting story Uh to tell, then we want to tell it. So the Golden Comet is very popular. It is a relatively common hybrid layer type of chicken. A hybrid meaning a specific mix of chickens that won't breed true in successive generations. No. So it's a mix of different chickens. And in order to get a hybrid, you have to hatch it from specific parent stock. Yes. Like this male and this female. Mm -hmm. So in the case of the Golden Comet, the parents are a white Plymouth Rock hen and a New Hampshire rooster. Penny, this could be the chicken for you. Penny Pennington Weeks. (laughs) We're giving you a shout out because you love New Hampshire's. So the resulting offspring, the Golden Comet, is known for excellent egg-laying abilities and friendly nature. Excellent egg-laying. The important thing to take away there is that the parents have to be White Plymouth Rock Hen, New Hampshire Rooster. Yes. So it's not just, hey, you can put a White Plymouth Rock Rooster with a New Hampshire Hen. Right. They have to be this specific. Right, right, exactly. That's the big takeaway for a hybrid is the parent stock are very specific. So sometimes you'll see a web page or another publication saying that golden comets and cinnamon queens are the same bird. Right. In reality, golden comets are an early form 
perhaps the earliest form of the hybrid type hens known as red sex links. And that group is hugely popular. Yes, very. The group also includes the ever popular Isa Brown. Yes. The Cinnamon Queen, the Golden Buff, the Red Star, the Gold Sex Links, etc. Sounds like the cereal aisle. It kind of does, doesn't it? <laughs> it does a bit. So, Sex Link. It means the bird's color is genetically linked to his or her sex because the parent stock were two different breeds. Yes. Autosexing, by contrast, is only used for birds where the parents are the same breed. Right. So just to keep that straight, it helps you understand the difference between hybrids and heritage breeds. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot that goes into hybrids versus heritage breed. Heritage breed is a known chicken and it's bred the same every time. Right, exactly. With the same other chickens. Yes. When you have hybrids and you have mixing and this female and that male, it gets complicated. It does. And all breeding is genetic. But the way hybrid breeding works is that particular genetic mix has a desired outcome. Right. And in this case, it's an uber layer. Yeah. The only thing is, and again, I'm going to reiterate this for hybrids, you do not want to put lights on these chickens overnight. One reason they're super layers is because that's what they're bred to do, and that sometimes can shorten their life. We'll talk more about that once we get through the history part, Yeah, but you're absolutely right. So the story of the Golden Comet begins in the early 1900s in Walpole, New Hampshire. thought we were going to say England there. No, New Hampshire. <laughs> New Hampshire. A produce farmer named Ira Hubbard had three sons, Oliver, Austin, and Leslie. They all attended the University of New Hampshire. So in about 1914, the family started breeding poultry, and they were selling chicks and hatching eggs to local families and farms. Mm -hmm. Oliver, one of the sons, was encouraged by his professor, Red Richardson. Now that's a name. Is he Hollywood? Well, it does sound like Golden Age of Hollywood, <laughs> early 20th century. It does. I like that. That's a good name for, for a rooster. Yes. Yes. So Oliver was encouraged by Professor Richardson to try some genetic selection in his breeding program. Initially, the Hubbards were doing this with an eye towards disease resistance, mm -hmm. of course. And the family started to grow this reputation for having top-quality chicks and hatching eggs. So much so that in 1921, the Hubbard Breeders Company was born. Okay. Somehow, they all start for the right reasons. They start for the right reasons, absolutely. And it ends for more eggs. I mean, and the reality here is that in the Hubbard's case, yes, they were doing it for economics, but they were supplying very healthy birds and hatching mm -hmm. eggs to a lot of families. And a lot of families actually got through the Great Depression. Right. Keeping these chickens, yeah. keeping food on the table. Yeah. So the Hubbard Company is known for developing two chickens. The first is the heritage breed New Hampshire chicken. Okay. Yeah. We spotlight them back in episode 36. Yeah. Penny's chicken. That's right. The second is the hybrid gold comet. So the New Hampshire was intended to be a dual-purpose bird, and that's essentially what it's always been used it's for. It's always been that. While the comet was intended to be an extremely efficient and prolific layer. Yes. Hubbard has gone through many iterations over time, and actually in 2003, they switched completely to breeding broiler chickens only. Wow, that's yeah. a big change there. Over the years, they have merged with different company. At one point, they were acquired by Merck. At one point, they merged with ISA, the company that pioneered the Isa Brown. Right. But at some point over the years, Hubbard either stopped breeding Golden Comets, or they sold the rights to someone else, or maybe they never even trademarked the name. Because now, several of the commercial hatcheries sell chicks that they call Golden Comets. Okay. 
I suppose the other point to make there is that at some point, the Golden Comet stopped being a completely industrial bird and really moved into the backyard sphere. So not only do you see Golden Comets sold by the commercial hatcheries, like you can find them in your local feed stores, and they're all called Golden Comet. And a lot of these genetics companies, the parent stock are closely guarded secrets. Oh, yeah. So it's unusual for hatcheries to carry a particular hybrid unless they've purchased the rights from the genetics company that started the breeding. In this case, a bunch of hatcheries breed a bird that they call a golden comet. Which could be their own version. And that's what I found. So the comets can have different mixes of parent stock breeds than the original. For example, the one that really stood out to me was cackle hatchery. Cackle Hatchery sells golden comets that are the result of crossing a cherry agar rooster and a Rhode Island white hen. Okay, so let's back up. Cherry agar? Cherry agar is a bit of a hybrid itself. So a cherry agar is supposed to be a Rhode Island red rooster crossed with a New Hampshire hen. It boggles the mind, right? It does at this point because this is not even where it started. Well, if you look at this with the cherry agar, once again, you have a hybrid of a hybrid. Yeah, exactly. Or half a hybrid of a hybrid. If you're going to start with a white Plymouth rock and then a New Hampshire roux, continue with that. Let everybody do it that way. Apparently, it's not uncommon for all of the hatcheries to have their own sort of proprietary. Or rename that chicken. It's not a golden common at that point. Right. How are they the same? They look similar, I guess. They lay the same way. I don't know. I suppose I could have spent another 10 hours researching this and maybe gotten an answer, but it didn't look like it. It was like each hatchery had their version and that was sort of a dead end. Yeah. I will say the majority of hatcheries did still say New Hampshire and White Plymouth Rock hat. So, okay, let's take, for instance, you're at the mill. They sell Golden Commons. Right. So we have to look back at that hatchery, which is- They buy from Mount Healthy Hatchery. Mount Healthy, yes. Right. And say- what the heck are you breeding to get your golden comet to yeah. see what you got, actually? If they make public what the parent stock it's is, It's just yeah. a big umbrella. The name is Golden Comet. Underneath, there's all these different combinations. Exactly. I think that's why a lot of the breeds are mixed up. Like, is that a Cinnamon Queen? Is that a Golden Buff? Because they just don't know. It's a different breed spotlight for us because we're used to giving you breed standards. Right. And saying, this breed should weigh this amount. And then, and then, this is like... You don't really even know what you had. The bigger story to me here is just the way hybrid breeding has been approached by the industry yeah, itself. Yeah, Especially through the 20th century. A little bit more about the golden comets. They are light to medium body birds. Yes. The roosters average about six pounds while hens are around four. Small to medium, yeah. yeah. The roosters are generally white with some red feathers, especially around their shoulder area. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, they're handsome birds. You very rarely see them, but they're handsome birds. Hens are a light brownish red, and they often have some white feathers present, too. They've been compared to what I've seen before. People say the Buffalo Orpington, but they don't remind me of the Buffalo Orpington at all. No, not at all. I've seen people compare them. No. And I'm like, there is no comparison. I totally disagree with that. The comets have yellow legs. They have a single red comb and waddles. They are very well known as friendly and gentle birds. Great for families in most respects. They're known to lay 300-plus brown eggs per year. Yeah, that's what they're known for. Right. And they do slow down significantly after the first two years and into the third year. The slowdown continues as they get older. We know this for a fact, that hybrid chickens are known to breed eggs prolifically the first year. Right. And then there's a drastic 30%-plus the second year. So, yes, are you saying, like, these chickens are great layers, but they lay them all in the beginning? It comes at a cost, no doubt. (laughs) 
Now, they usually don't go broody. And anecdotally, we know that hybrid breeds like the Comets do tend to have a shorter lifespan than the average pet yes. chicken. So they tend to live four to five years instead of seven to eight years. Yeah, that's a big difference. It is a big difference. So if you have a young family and you're looking for a chicken to be a pet and grow up with your kids, even though they're super friendly, they're not going to live as long. Right. So this is where I was saying earlier about making provisions to not have lighting in the coops at night, different things that cause them to lay their eggs even faster. Right, because the reality is they're also subject to a number of reproductive problems. Yes. Including tumors. Yes. Peritonitis and even prolapse. Those things tend to come along with production laying. So as we said, don't let your coops. Give these girls a break. They need it. Yeah. Some hybrid hens end up being candidates for hormone implants to stop them from laying and try to cut down on some of these issues. That's a talk you need to have with your veterinarian. Overall... Sweet, wonderful nature birds who have probably been overbred a bit. Yeah. I'd hate to say that about this bird because... Right, they're lovely. I mean, they're lovely birds. It's not the bird's fault no. at all. The bird is a product of humans coming in and really messing with genetics. And this is why, so far, we have not done hybrids because... Right. There are trade-offs here. There are, there are huge trade-offs here. There are huge trade-offs. I've never had a hybrid in my life. I have not. The only circumstances under which I could see myself having a hybrid is rescues. Yeah. And there, you know, you're giving them love and support. To Same. me, if you want a really big egg layer, you could go with a Leghorn or Rhode Island Red and their heritage breeds. Exactly. So you can get kind of the same thing and they're going to live longer. Right. And the reason why the hatcheries are breeding so many of these chickens is because of the high demand for them. Right. So it is a toss up. Well, our focus is pet chickens and always has been yeah. chickens as companion animals. The eggs are amazing and we love the eggs, but they're not the sole reason we have chickens. Exactly. That's us. Everyone else gets to choose their path. But just be aware if you're choosing this as a family bird that they do tend to have a short lifespan and they can have reproductive issues. Yeah, those are the two big downfalls to me for this bird. But again, we probably can't say this enough, sweetest birds ever. And essentially, we didn't even bother to tell you where to get them because you can get them practically everywhere. Every single place. Yeah. If you're interested in getting the original Golden Comet hybrid mix, you just want to look out for a place that has the White Plymouth Rock Hen crossed with the New Hampshire Rooster. That that, is the original. That's the original Golden Comet hybrid mix. They're beautiful chickens. Let us know what you think. Send us pictures. We would love to see them. Absolutely. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Okay, so coming up is our main topic, yeah. And it's also our retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we have a huge surprise guest for you this week. We are so thrilled to have Kelly Rutkowski, the woman behind Adopt-A-Bird Network and Poultry DVM, with us today. Hey, Kelly, we're so excited to meet you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you guys too. 
We're thrilled to meet you as well. We're big fans of Poultry DVM. We feel like that website does a great service. So can we start off by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, as you could probably tell, I'm very passionate about chickens and, and I guess especially roosters. I'm a little quirky, bit weird. I'm the person that brings roosters with me into stores. I have full-time conversations with my animals. 98% of the photos on my phone are animals. Basically, I'm obsessed with animals. But my early career, after graduating college for the first time, I worked as a civil engineer designing and building marinas. Oh, wow. So, uh, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was a little different. <laughs> but I soon realized along the way that my true passion involved helping animals. So I went back to school and decided to change careers. And I'm so much happier than I was as a civil engineer, quite honestly, because this is something I love and I'm very passionate about doing. So I don't regret it one bit. So your graphic arts experience, that is from being the civil engineer and bringing that all in together or? It had no association with engineering. I've always been artistic, so I've always had a knack for design, I suppose. I never had professional training in graphics design. Engineering was more like designing plans and doing calculations. And I mean, it had a little bit, I suppose, of like architectural kind of design, but it not like graphics, like what these are, but I'm sure it helps me in some way. That's what I'm saying. I'm sure that kind of helps you in that the graphics versus putting it all together in a way that is eye-pleasing, but also educational. We enjoy looking at it, but we're learning. And you have a gift in doing this. That's for sure. I mean, it's amazing. We have your poster. We are redoing the chicken studio and it's getting framed and going up on the wall here. So we will have it forever with us. So what was your inspiration behind Poultry DVM itself? Well, Poultry DVM was actually second to Horse DVM, which okay. was my original. And it also includes Goat DVM, Pig DVM, Cow DVM, and more. The initial concept was actually based on WebMD, but geared towards helping farm animals. Basically because I felt like there was a lack of source-based information, which helped educate and promote veterinary care for those animals. There's lots of dogs, lots of cats, you know, but those animals kind of were neglected as far as the treatment of them in a veterinary standpoint versus like farm. Like there was a lack of science-based solid healthcare information. Yeah. We always talk about this and we feel like chickens fall into this no man's land. They don't quite fit in with the rest of the farm animals, the mammals, and they don't fit in with the small animals. So... We're trying to bridge that gap by educating everyone that chickens are much more than just in the backyard. They are emotional animals. They show us love. We show them love by bridging that gap and educating that these animals need medical care. Your graphics are going hand in hand with where we want to go and showing everyone that it's not something to be ashamed of, that you take your chicken to the doctor. Yeah, completely. That's exactly my concept of what I'm doing. And I think we're on the same page. Just to recap a little bit. So you do poultry DVM, horse DVM, cow DVM, goat DVM, and pig DVM. Is that right? Yes. However, pig DVM is not online yet. And I kind of put goat and cow to the side. My main concentration is poultry because I felt like there was a greater need because of exactly what you had mentioned just before. Like it's the widest gap. And I feel like it was 
the area most needed. It's the widest gap, but yet it's the biggest boom, which is so weird to me because basically we went from COVID happening in 2020 to everyone wanted chickens, but yet it's still, they are still in that no man's land of where do they fit in? They're not a dog or a cat, but they certainly can relate in that way to people. So I see what you're saying. Like you're needed over at the poultry side to help educate this big boom of people that are getting all these chickens. They need to be educated on health and taking care of them. Another reason why I thought there was more of a need was because I noticed how relative to every other animal, chickens seem to have the most forms online and like Facebook groups of people asking the same repetitive questions over and over again, (laughs) such as my chicken has such and such symptom. What could be wrong with them? I can't find a vet in my area who sees chickens. What can I do to prevent such and such disease? Seeing this over and over again kind of made me feel like I need to do something to help make it easier. So that's kind of why I developed the chicken symptom tool, a comprehensive directory of veterinarians who will see chickens and an easier to navigate source-based website. I felt like most of the information that's out there about poultry is based on research conducted on the commercial poultry industry. You are so right on. I feel like we're all the same person right here talking. This is exactly why we're doing what we're doing. As a veterinary technician, I took care of animals in a very large animal practice. I was a manager for shock trauma in the city of Baltimore for animals. And people with chickens have the same questions over and over again, and they need to be educated on where do we go next after asking this question that is solid and scientific. Where do we go? It's just amazing that you took this on. I can't say enough how much I'm impressed with you. You're amazing. Thank you. It's just something I'm passionate about. I guess I I just feel like I love them and I want them to be taken care of and I want to help other people take care of them. And yeah. I feel like you're a perfect partner to this show because you are within our mission of where we are in our passion for these animals and we can really help each other along the way for sure. Um, I love what you guys do too. I think it's amazing. I've I've listened to all your podcasts and think that, yeah, you're definitely helping this momentum go in the right direction. (laughs) So that brings us into the next question. And what we're all passionate about is finding a veterinarian. Now we say to everyone, if you need help, contact us and we will help you find a vet in your area because people on their own tend to be having a hard time finding an avian vet. And we commend anyone that reaches out to us and says, can you help me? Because it takes a lot to ask for help. Are there any pointers that you can give? And do you think it's hard for people in the U.S. to find an avian vet that's going to treat chickens? Yeah, I do think it's difficult for poultry keepers to find veterinarians who will see chickens because not all vets will see them. And then the avian vets, some of them actually won't see chickens. Most of them will, but, and then those that do may not necessarily think of them in the same way as the exotic birds. Basically, there's, in my opinion, about three different types of vets. You've got the small animal vets, you've got the exotic even specialists, and then you've got kind of like the mobile poultry vets. So it's best to try to find at least two vets, one that's local to you. And then one that's like a specialist who knows a lot about birds, mainly because of this, there are less specialists in the U.S. than there is small animal vets. 
And you don't even need to necessarily find a small animal vet who focuses on chickens, just one who would be willing to help you with your chicken so that if you go to your exotic veterinarian who's far away, you can coordinate with them with your local vet to help you so that like, for example, if you need something that's quick, like another radiograph to kind of check progress, instead of having to drive two hours to the exotic vet, you can go to your local vet and get that radiograph quickly. And then also, you know, it is a little cheaper. I think what you were saying is so dead on. The vets who are avian vets are still learning chicken medicine because chicken medicine in the veterinary world didn't come into play. It was completely commercial vets who were dealing with chickens. So it's just now starting to be like, okay, we need our vets to know chicken medicine because they are companion animals at this point. So even your vets that you've been going to forever who learn parrot are going to learn with you about the chicken. So finding someone who's willing to work with you is number one. Oh yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. Someone who cares and will make the effort yes. is, is the best vet you can find. I'd say above ones that are, have every degree under the sun. And the number one is one that cares and will make the effort to help your bird. Which and, the, um, the three of us have in yeah. common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait. Probably one of the best chicken vets in the world in Dr. Rebecca. Yeah. She is very rare. <laughs> she is wonderful. But there are lots of other great vets out there too. It mainly comes down to those that want to learn, who want to help, and who see these creatures as pets instead of livestock. Mon- yeah. I guess you're going to be more likely if you go to a poultry vet for them to say, oh, this bird has a sneeze. Oh, uh, well, let's send off this diagnostic test. And if it passed positive for this disease, you have to cull your entire flock. That I feel like. That's yesterday's news. We're past that at this point. We are treating every chicken as an individual and has a medical plan. And where do we go from here? The same as we would treat our dogs and our cats. I feel like chickens, instead of livestock, are fitting into the dog and cat and rabbit category at this point. There are a lot of vets on board with this, as you've said. The reality is that chickens are now companion animals. Exactly. Kelly, do you keep poultry? And if you do, what birds do you keep? I certainly do. I have an assortment of feathered friends. I actually started out with two ducks and ended up expanding into chickens. I inherited my first two from a friend who had hatched too many roosters and couldn't keep them all. So she was like, Kelly, can you take this rooster with this hen? And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And I basically fell in love with them and was like, you know what? I want to help more of them. So here we are years later and probably more than half my flock are rescues, ones I've adopted from the shelters over the years. So I have a bunch of different breeds some unknown. And I actually have five roosters, six hens. So I have a lot of roosters. That is actually small because at one point I had a lot more, but I've also temporarily housed people's roosters, have adopted them out. And so that number has fluctuated quite a bit. I have a quick side question for you. So you Mm -hmm. started with ducks. Do you still have ducks now or are you exclusive to chickens at this point? Well, my ducks unfortunately died last year. I was really sad. They were older, but I still, nonetheless, I miss them. So I still can't take in ducks right now because I I, I really miss them. (laughs) I will eventually, but it's a little harder keeping ducks with chickens. As much as I love the ducks, it is more of a challenge keeping them with chickens because their environments and needs are, are, are different. So at this point, 
I'm just trying to focus with the chickens and, and, you know, keeping them happy and healthy. You've been planning a seminar on setting up a bachelor flock. Now, Holly Ann has many roosters. (laughs) I have eight roosters. A couple of them are rescues and a couple of them, we are doing a little bit of conservation breeding of the critically endangered Nankin chicken. And so when you hatch, you end up with more cockerels. And so essentially, we've built them a little bachelor flock, the other side of our little farm in the sheep field. So anytime we breed more Nankins, we will add to our bachelor flock. I'm a rooster fan from way back. We've never been without one. But putting the bachelor flock into practice myself has been endlessly educating. So you've been planning the seminar on a bachelor flock. Can you give us an update on that? I actually just two days ago, you guys helped prompt me to go ahead and schedule the webinars. I have two scheduled, one in February and one in March to help cater to the suggestions I received on the times and days and stuff. Hopefully that fits everyone's schedule. And if it doesn't, I'll pick another, and, you know, I'll do another one in June or something. And when you decide those dates, we can link them in our show notes on this episode so that if someone hears us, they can go right to our show notes and get to you. These boys can live together in harmony without girls around, and they don't have to be on the chopping block and not have a home. This is really important because we boost so much. We talk so much about a rooster plan, and this is part of what a rooster plan is. I do have the dates. One is February 4th at 1 p.m., and the other is March 16th at 9 or 10 a.m. I cannot remember if it's 9 or 10. I will get back to you. That's fantastic. Thank you. I give out summary notes with different graphics and designs as well with it. And I have recorded it in the past once, but it was just, it just misses a lot because I have a presentation and everything and I show so much that people are going to miss out on. So I feel like I need to find a way to make it so they can see everything. But for right now, if you attend the webinar, you'll see everything. It's so important. I don't have any roosters, but I definitely know there is a possibility in my future to get one. What do you do? Where do you go if you have more than one? It's never just the end. You know, you can help them and they can live out a really good life. The fact that you're coming on with these webinars is amazing. It's the number one thing is to educate people. There's so many questions out there. And like you said, a lot of them are the same. And a lot of misinformation, I think, too. A lot of people are like, oh, roosters don't get along together. They fight. Or you need this rooster per this number of hens and stuff. And I mean, and I've had two roosters together with hens. I mean, sometimes it works. It just, it really just depends on the personalities. Even basher flocks, it all comes down to the personalities. I mean, there are some that don't get along. But most of the time, if you give it time and you do it appropriately, they will. But it's also important to recognize when they won't and to come up with a backup plan. I feel like it's really needed right now because there's so many homeless roosters that are unwanted. And the more people that can have bachelor flocks in areas that allow them, the more it'll help these animals be able to find homes. I feel like they deserve a life 
too and deserve happiness. And, you know, bachelor flocks, they can be happy and they're really enriching. I've had a, several different groupings of roosters together in, in different bachelor flocks. And right now I have two separate bachelor flocks and I love them. They're so adorable. It's just a different experience as you probably know, Holly. I love hens and roosters too, but because, you know, you get different enrichment scenes, you know, the dynamics of them together. But with roosters, it's just like you're kind of their focus. You're their everything. Yeah. And they're just so fun to watch. And, and, you know, and they tidbit to each other. It's just, it's, 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 it's really. Thing. I mean, they'll come up and they'll dance at my boots. They'll dance for me. They dance for each other. I can see my Nankin boys at my kitchen window. So while I'm doing the dishes or cooking and they make me so happy. And they're also extremely affectionate because they're not worried about being in charge of a flock. They're so affectionate. They're cuddly. They love hugs. They love being with you. It really is. I think enriching is a good word. It makes my heart feel really full. Anytime I spend time with the rooster boys, they're just the sweetest. Yeah, exactly. People that have roosters that may mate hens a little bit, overmate them uh, more than other roosters, or they have trouble with kind of being territorial around the hens, they are perfect bachelor flock candidates, those birds, because in a different environment, they can be very different. So anyone that has issues with those may want to consider starting a separate bachelor flock for that rooster. And then not only do they, you know, not have that behavior and they get to keep their rooster, but they get to rescue and save a bunch of other roosters that need homes. So another reason. (laughs) All around, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a perfect rooster plan to have. And a life is a life just because it's a boy versus a girl. Chicken doesn't mean that that should end that chicken's life. We're pretty firm and strong believers in that. So everybody should look at this webinar and learn about the bachelor flock because it's important. We have had listeners reach out and say, hey, I made a bachelor flock. Let's say we have our hens in the front yard and we have our rooster flock in the backyard and it works. We had numerous people come to us and tell us this works and they were so thrilled. They never even thought of it, but they heard us talking about it when we discussed the rooster plan. I'm hopeful that we see more and more bachelor flocks as we go along. Oh, yeah. I would love it if more and more people started those because it would just mean more homes for these guys. Yeah. And, and exactly. I think people would have a better appreciation for them as well. Yes. So you're dealing with a lot of different cases and chickens. And we all know Dr. Rebecca. She's our common. We all know her. How did you get to know her? And are there some recent cases that you would like to share with us? Dr. Rebecca and I have been working together with these cases for a couple of years now. I started going to her with my chickens as well. She's two and a half hours away from me. So it shows how wonderful she really is. So one of the case stories is involving a hen of mine. We're not sure kind of the definition of what she suffered from. It was some sort of reproductive issue that caused her to produce a bunch of follicles in her abdomen. They aren't eggs. They aren't yolk filled. They're just clear fluid, but there was enough that compiled in her abdomen that it was starting to compress on her organs. And so she was starting to have difficulty breathing. So brought her Dr. Rebecca and she had surgery and removed them all. And she's been great. It's been about almost a year and she's still doing well. And then I have three others. I have a backlog. I'm a little behind on doing these sometimes. I'm really sorry for those of you who are listening that I haven't done yours yet. I'm working on it, but the others are, are, are also equally just as interesting. I mean, another hen who had uh, you know, a tumor and had it removed and now she's doing well. And a uh, rooster who had something lodged in his esophagus. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And then an, another involving a rooster has severe respiratory infection. He was just about to die, but he stayed with extra supportive care and, and you know, his owner didn't give up. 
So he's doing well now too. So those are a few that I have on the back burner, which will be coming out eventually. That's awesome. We always love to hear that those cases where there is a struggle, you get the help and they can lead some sort of normal life, whether special needs chicken at that point, or go back in the flock. Having a special needs chicken myself who Dr. Rebecca saved, she died on the table and Dr. Rebecca resuscitated her. She told me about that. Yes. Uh, So Gertie is our special needs chicken who has been amazing. And those cases get you. You really root for the chickens and pull through. Come on, you can do this. You can do this. Mine was one of the amazing ends. We may have to do a story about yours. (laughs) (laughs) About Gertie? She would love it. Eight months of crop issues and two crop surgeries. And now she's sitting next to me in a stroller. So, and she goes out. You know, you say you take your roosters out. Gertie goes everywhere to the store. I love She that. goes, yeah, breweries. She's the biggest superstar at the brewery. Oh, I love that. See, because the more you take them out, the more awareness you bring of these guys being, you know, companion animals. And I feel like it's very needed. More people need to take their chickens out so that they can show people, hey, they're just similar to your dogs. You know, they're my, they're my pet too. So occasionally you'll hear people say it's just not safe to take your chicken out. We agree with you that ambassador chickens are so important. So do you have any quick tips for maintaining some biosecurity? The biggest thing is not having contact with other chickens. So I'd say that's the number one thing. Chickens usually pick that up from other chickens or fomites, which are basically inanimate objects. For those of you who don't know, it all comes back to the source of chickens. I mean, other animals can carry them as well, but they're less of an issue. As long as you minimize contact with those and you keep them in your environment, you're pretty safe. And I feel like if they're vaccinated for merics and they're not going where other chickens go, it's pretty safe. Gertie has her stroller. She travels in the stroller. The carrier goes in the car. Then she comes out of the carrier, goes in the stroller. The smiles that this chicken puts on faces of people. I can't walk three feet without someone coming up to me. Can I get a picture with your chicken? I've never seen a live chicken before. It's so important. We just love ambassador chickens. Totally agree. And yeah, say again, minimal risk unless you're, you know, you're going to another chicken farm or <laughs> you yeah. know, or going to a chicken show or anywhere where there are other chickens, as long as you keep them contained. And, and maybe if other people that have had chickens and didn't wash their hands, be aware, but you're less likely to find that in those stores. Okay. So, you know, we really, really love all things vintage chicken. So we're wondering if there are any fun chicken things that you collect. I'm a little boring here Um, because I I don't really collect or buy much of anything really for myself. I actively search for fun enrichment items for the birds. I mean, they have seasonal toys and furniture and run and coop decor. So I guess I do collect. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they have elaborate changes every season. (laughs) Yeah. It keeps it fun. And Uh, I think they enjoy it. You are so special. Just talking with you and meeting you and your positive outlook and vibes just come off. And it's just like you care so much about these animals. I wish there were way more people out there like you because (laughs) you, you do so much for them. We do a retail therapy every week. And this week, you're our main topic. And we want to make you our retail therapy because we think what you're doing is amazing. The work that you put into this poster and you're selling them over at Etsy, we're going to link your Etsy to our show notes so that everybody can go over. And you know what? If you have chickens, 
Everybody has to decorate something with chickens. This poster is so cool. We have it in our chicken studio. You're going to want this because it's going to educate you while being eye-pleasing. And we love this poster. Talk about this poster with us. What inspired you to do this poster? Thank you for bringing it up and thank you for your compliments on it. What inspired me to initially go along the path of creating it is the CDC's propaganda about how chickens are a health hazard. Because I feel like this is kind of misleading and and untrue, I started compiling a list of all the zoonotic pathogens of chickens and comparing them to dogs and cats and other animals. And through that process, I was realizing, you know what, it might be kind of cool because I'm ADHD. So I have, you know, a zillion ideas at once all the time. So I was like, I'm going to turn this into a chart of all the different chicken pathogens because it'd be neat for people to see the categories and see, you know, visually what the differences are, the positive bacteria, negative bacteria, you know, all the different tapeworms, the brown worms, like basically anything that can infect chickens. Because interestingly, although it looks like there is a lot, this is actually very, very little compared to dogs, cats, humans. Oh my gosh it'd be very, very difficult to do a bath and poster of them because they've got so many, which is, I believe, right there. You know, the CDC says this about chickens, but all these well, other keeping, animals. Keeping in mind, chickens are mostly in an enclosed area of a run or a yard. So what they're exposed to is environmentally all in one area. Exactly. Um, it's hard to say like, oh, all these different things can come in and it's a controlled area. Well, and it's depending on how much you control that area is the, is the thing because you can, you know, there's some people, you know, if you let your birds free range, you're going to have a little less control. And then the people who don't clean as often, those are the ones who are going to have more issues. Like people have issues with mainly salmonella, but the thing is the CDC tracked back all these outbreaks to hatcheries. And the reason why they're hatcheries, because they're all baby chicks. And the reason why is because when they're born without a mom, they don't have the bacteria they should have, which they normally inherit from their mom. So basically everywhere they go, they can pick up whatever bacteria is around because salmonella is basically everywhere. These baby chicks, if you put them in an environment where, you know, there may be possibly salmonella, they're going to pick it up and they're going to pick it up in large numbers. And then people that don't clean their environment don't clean them, you know, so they're basically walking on feces all the time. When they pick up the bird, it's not the bird that's getting them sick, it's the feces. So as long as you keep the bird clean and minimize the feces, it is not a problem. It all goes back into that big circle of the pathogens and where they come from and where you show us on this poster. And that's why it's so important for people to take a look at this and know and be aware of it. And like you said, cleaning is so important. Personal hygiene too. I mean, I grew up on a farm and the number one rule was don't touch your face unless you wash your hands. So that's it. You come in from the barn or the chicken coop, you wash your hands. One of our taglines is hug your chicken every day. We could extend that further and say you're hugging your chicken. You're not licking your chicken. It's perfectly <laughs> fine to hug your chicken. And honestly, I don't like dogs, you know, that lick you. I don't like dogs to look at me. You know why? Because they carry far more pathogens in their mouth than, you know, chickens don't have tongues. I mean, they have tongues, but they're not going to lick you. I would (laughs) rather kiss a chicken than have a dog lick me. Salmonella can be deadly for some people, but the bacteria in dog's mouth is far more (laughs) of a a problem. I'm not going to go into it, but that's why when dogs, you know, you get a dog bite, your chicken, that's why you, you need to bring them to the vet because they have so much bacteria in their mouths. They carry pastella, which is 
basically going to give them acute cholera if you don't do anything. Over my 15 years that I was in the field, lots of injuries due to dogs and cats. And the one that gives you the most, I needed to get to the doctor every time is cat. Oh, cat too. Yeah. 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 You know, when you're trying to restrain a cat and they don't want to, and they bite and claw you, they have way more weapons to get at you. So it's much easier to hug and kiss a chicken. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I just think it's so important. I love the fact that you put this out there. It's now a poster that people can frame. It's a cool piece of art that if you love chickens, you can have everybody check it out. And you know what? Your Insta is amazing. Your graphics that you put up are very educational. They're easy to understand and they're eye-pleasing. And those three things together are so important to help educate everybody. I think you even had one out. I was looking at a while ago about the draft and and the coop and where do you want the air to come in in the winter? And I thought it was so helpful. We love it. And what you're doing is so good for people because of this big chicken boom that's happening. I think one of my favorite of your infographics is the one about hazards that are possible for house chickens. Because a lot of us have had house chickens, either a regular house chicken or a temporary house chicken. And we've never brought up those things. So when I saw your infographic, I was like, that is genius. That is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, what you're doing is so good for chickens in general. It's good to help people and educate them so that they'll be less lost if something happens. And that's the thing that we're trying to do is have fun because we have such a passion for chickens, but prepare people if something were to happen, you know, at that point, what's your next step? That's like with vets. We say, as soon as you get chickens, you need to have a relationship with the vet, not when there's a problem because you have to have a relationship to get into the vet. Your graphics are so awesome. They teach people and you should be proud of yourself and all that you've done. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate what you guys are doing too. I think it's wonderful. So I love working together. (laughs) Thank you. We're going to finish up with our favorite question to ask our guests. What's your favorite breed of chicken? I love all the breeds, quite honestly. And, you know, there's so many out there and I haven't had that many. It's hard for me to really say I have a favorite. The thing is also like there's, you know, the personalities that are involved. So it's like, am I, do I really love the breed or do I really love the personality of that chicken and associate that? with the breed, but I'd say I probably have right now, uh, maybe a particular love for the Cochins only because they were my first breed of attachment. So I really, you know, I think they're adorable. <laughs> I love the Cochin Bantams. I think they're the cutest little things ever. Little feather feet when they run. The it's so cute. <laughs> they remind me of on Beauty and the Beast, the feather duster. We have loved talking with you and we could talk to you for hours. That's for sure. We want to have you back because we want you to tell us all about your baby Adopt-A-Bird Network. And that is going to be a whole separate show in itself because that is a big accomplishment and deserves it. You have done so much for the poultry community. So hopefully you will come back with us and talk about Adopt-A-Bird Network. We would love it. I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. We've had such a great time talking to you. We really look forward to talking to you again. Everyone follow Kelly on Instagram at PoultryDM. <laughs> and also you can follow her at Adopt-A-Bird Network. We'll have links to all of Kelly's social media in the show notes. And her Etsy store where you can get this great graphic poster and put it up. Thank you once again, Kelly. And we can't wait till we have this talk again. I feel like you're definitely one of our people. Thank you. 
Bye-bye. Bye. We just want to say thank you one more time to Kelly. She's just fantastic. Love her. Hope you all enjoyed it. Okay. So now it's about that time when that we... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. We went simple this week. Simple but classic. But we're craving them. And I'm tired of buying them. You girls love that. Crepes. 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 Who here adores crepes of all kinds? Oh, Raise fantastic. your hand. Yeah. Yep. My hand's up in the sky. I love them. So we wanted to take a look into crepes. And we're doing a sweet crepe rather than a savory. We'll do a savory another time, maybe with buckwheat flour. Yeah. But this time around, we're doing classic thin French crepes. Yes, we are. So the sweet version uses two eggs, milk, and I did substitute soy milk. Yeah. Sugar, butter, salt, vanilla, and again, I substituted a dairy-free for the butter. You made it with full dairy. I made full dairy. And all of the amounts we'll have on the recipe in our show notes. Yes. So essentially, you mix everything together, and you mix it until it's smooth like cream. Now, some people swear by using a blender that they get the smoothest mix that way. Okay. I just blended by hand, even though it took more work. I didn't yeah. want to wash another thing. Yeah, I just blend it with the hand mixer. Yeah. It's easy to make gluten and dairy-free. Tastes really amazing that way. You can just substitute a gluten-free all-purpose flour, but don't use a heavy one that has lots of bean flour because it gives it a bit of a sharp off taste. You don't want a bean crate unless it's the filling. I suppose there are some circumstances where it would be good, but not for dessert Yeah, crepes. no, not at all. I just use Bob's Red Mill one-to-one. I also am going to experiment making this with oat flour. Yeah. See how that turns out. I didn't have time to do it before we recorded. Now, before we did all this, I went to Amazon and purchased a crepe skillet with the tools because I wanted the handy-dandy spreader. Yeah, the spreader's nice. It's nice. I have a blue steel crepe pan. I think it's back in the farmhouse, way back there from before I got married. Yeah. So I need to try to go find it because I can do it in my little skillet, but the crepe pan is nice. Mine came with the long paddle so yeah, that you can fold it over exactly. and everything. Yeah. And it makes it so much easier. It does. So you make up your batter probably the night before yeah, because it needs to rest and chill. It's easiest to just do it the night before. Put it in the fridge. Yes. You're ready to go. An eight-inch skillet is ideal. Yes. Use a smaller one. You're going to pour about a quarter of a cup of batter per crepe. Mm-hmm. And in between each crepe, you're going to brush the pan with butter or dairy-free right. butter, yes. something like that. Because you don't want stickage. Yeah. And as each one is finished, you lift it, you stack them on top of each other as you go. It yeah. keeps them warm. Yes. And then comes the fun part. The filling. Yeah, the fillings. I'll tell you what kind my girls love. Yep. Nutella and strawberries. If I don't have strawberries, I'll do Nutella and strawberry jam, and it's ridiculously good. Yeah, Nutella and banana also. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> when we went to Williamsburg, we went to a Christmas fair, the, one of the mornings we were there, and the girls, they had the college kids sitting there making the crepes, yeah. and the girls went by, and that's all it took. I know, they wanted those crepes, and they ate them in record time. They had like an 18-gallon jug of Nutella. I mean, it was huge. Oh, I didn't see it. I'd wander to another booth. Oh, so my Lord. It. The girls love it. So that's our favorite filling. I'm is- actually really excited because I just got, in my latest curbside pickup grocery order, Nutiva brand. You were telling me about that the other yeah, day. Yeah, it's a gluten-free and dairy-free Nutella. I'm so excited. I haven't opened it yet, but yeah, there it is. There you go. For the crepes. I can see Nutella and strawberry jam, everything. Right. You can do so many different things. Blueberries. I think fruit's always good in them. I guess in a pinch. Could peanut you just... butter and banana. Peanut butter and banana sounds amazing. 
If you want to gild the lily, you can go all out and make classic crepe Suzette. Oh, yeah. Which is one of my favorites. Did you know I have a hen yes. named crepe Suzette? Yes, I do know. One of my <laughs> buff bravas is crepe Suzette. It is one of my favorite desserts. So you can get as fancy or as simple as you want with this. Oh, yeah. You can do anything as a filling that you like. Yeah. Basically, you have to have something kind of creamy in there. And then you can fold it. The big, exactly. The paddle folding, everything. And I like mine with powdered sugar if I'm going to do something. I like a little powdered sugar on yeah. there, too. Just sprinkle it over. Have a little sifter. Oh, man. It's good. The recipe that we ended up developing has two eggs. Yeah. Sometimes you see it with one egg. Sometimes you see it with up to four eggs. But we like using those eggs. We found two was the perfect amount to not make it taste super eggy. Yeah. Has just the consistency we want. So, again, check out the recipe. We'll have all the measurements there. Have fun making those crepes. It's delicious, and you'll be surprised how easy they are. Yeah. You can pay a pretty dollar for a crepe made right in front of you. And then you watch them make it, and you're like, so easy. Yeah. I need that tool. And now you have it. <laughs> uh, now I have Good it to go. Okay. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Yes. Next week, we're profiling the heritage breed Langshin. Oh, yeah. Another one of the Asiatics. It's our monthly roundtable with Fiona. We're going to talk about weather and disaster emergency preparedness. It's something we all need to think about. It's on our mind lately. Our recipe is homemade Pop-Tarts. I love me some Pop-Tarts. And our retail therapy is the Crafty Chicken Company. It's a local company to us, and we love oh, showcasing just them. just amazing stuff she has, yeah. Just so. wait till you hear what she has. Yeah. Okay, so... What should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.